Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. I think we've looked at that just about every service that we've had during this time uh, uh, where we've been teaching on this subject. And then also Romans chapter 8. I want to talk to you tonight on following, uh, learning to follow the inward witness. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, we've looked uh, at um, uh, different things throughout this uh, teaching on the spirit of man. The first thing that we saw is that the man has three parts, spirit, soul, and body. He is a spirit being. That's the real part of him. He has a soul, which is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions, and he lives in a body. Now, notice it's not through the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions that God leads us. It's not through the body that God leads us. It's the spirit of man that is the candle, or one translation says the lamp or the light of the Lord. Now, the the word picture here that's being painted uh, in Proverbs 20, verse 27, is in the darkness, God will enlighten your path, but he does that by your spirit or through your spirit. Now, why is that? Because it's through your, in your spirit that God lives. It's your spirit that's been recreated. It's your spirit that now in, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's your spirit that's filled to overflowing when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's your spirit that other tongues flows out of when you're speaking divine secrets to God. So it says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, you find anybody, a lot of people aren't, just aren't interested, you know. I mean, they've got other distractions, they've got other things going on in their lives, and, and, uh, and I guess we've all been at, at that place at one point in time in, uh, in our lives, throughout our lives. But you find somebody that's in a real hard place and seeking God for some way to get out, some means of, of rescue, some means of deliverance, you bring that individual the knowledge that God can and will lead them, their next question is going to be how? Because most everybody in the body of Christ is looking for God to do something in their external circumstances. He's look, they're looking for God to work from the outside, but the Bible says God works from the inside out. It's the spirit of man that is the candle of the Lord. In other words, you're not going to find God by changing circumstances. You're not going to find God because your circumstances all of a sudden change or clear up or the problem goes away. That's not where you're going to find God. That's not where you're going to find God's direction. You're going to find God's direction one and only one place, and that is in your spirit, from within. Now, if God was uh, was in the uh, business of just making everybody happy, he'd just change circumstances. Every time we'd pray, God would change our circumstances and everybody would be thrilled. But you'd never know who God was then. You'd never know what God was like. You'd never know his character. You'd never know his nature. You'd ne- never develop his character or nature in you. You'd just go from crisis to crisis and pray to prayer. One prayer that der- brings deliverance to the next prayer that brings deliverance. And your circumstances would never really change in the sense that you'd keep getting yourself in trouble over and over again because you'd expect God to bail you out every time. God's got a better plan. His better plan is to lead you by the Holy Spirit in your spirit so that you can avoid some of life's pitfalls. So that you can avoid some of the problems that we bring ourselves into through ignorance. Folks, ignorance can be solved through knowledge, but it's hard to fix stupid. I'm going to let that sink in for some. Stupid is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting you're going to get some kind of different result or expecting that things are going to work out anyway. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to learn. He'll deliver us. 
but he wants to show us how to deliver us, and he wants to show us how to follow his leading so that we can avoid the problems that we get ourselves into otherwise. Now, over in Romans chapter 8, it tells us a little bit more about leading the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, the word sons is, um, is a word that means a mature son. In other words, the, the implication here, and I, I don't want to split hairs over words, but the implication, in, in, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but I believe the Holy Ghost is telling us that there's a maturing process to come to be led by the Holy Ghost. Now, any child of God can be led by the Holy Ghost. You're not any more a child of God if you're, if you're a, a mature Christian than you are when you're a baby Christian. But one of the things that make you a mature Christian is if you learned a lot more than what you, what you knew when you were a baby. Right? So he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Being led by the Spirit of God takes some maturity. That means there's a process involved. That means there's time involved. That means it's not an overnight or an instant thing. We've all found that to be true, haven't we? Now, how is he going to lead us? It's good to know that he will lead us, but how is he going to lead us? Verse 16, it says, the Spirit itself, King James says itself, it should uh, better read himself. The Spirit himself, because he's not in it, himself beareth witness with our spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, this is a different word. This is not the word sons. This is the word for young child. The Spirit of God starts bearing witness with you even as a baby Christian that you are the child of God. Now, there's nothing more important in the Christian life and the Christian walk than to know you're a child of God. We think of that in kind of generic terms, and we think, yeah, well, it's good to know you're saved. That's not what that's talking about. The Spirit himself bears witness that we are the children of God. This is what the Holy Ghost is trying to tell us about being children of God, meaning who we are in Christ and all the things that Jesus did for us and purchased for us on the cross. Big difference in knowing that you're saved and knowing who you are in Christ. Now, he's saying that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit to show you all the things that you are in Christ and who you are in Christ and what belongs to you. Amen? And how is he going to do that? By bearing witness with your spirit. People uh, a lot of times get the wrong idea. They'll hear a little bit about uh, somebody's experience that they had and how the Lord led them in something. And... Um, and many times they get the idea that God's just out there and they're, they're hearing some kind of words that, that, uh, that the person I just heard the testimony from is hearing some words from God that I'm not hearing. And uh, the devil will try to take that and beat you up and say, yeah, well, he's not going to speak to you like that. And, and, uh, and all different kinds of experiences and results thereof. But this word bearing witness does not mean speak to. If you look up the words, it, really, it literally means to impress upon, to, to bear upon, to press down on. The best example I know how to give you is um, is one that many husbands will be able to relate to. You ever been uh, sitting at dinner with your friends and uh, you start telling the story and all of a sudden under the table your wife starts nudging you with her knee? Well, she's communicating without ever saying a word. She's bearing witness with your knee that she doesn't like the story you're telling. She doesn't like where this is going at all. Well, that's what bearing witness, that's what the Holy Spirit bearing witness with you with your spirit is really like. It's an impression. Impression, not a sense, just a sense per se, but it's a nudge. It's something on the inside that seems to be leaning you in one direction or the other. 
Now, I had in my heart to, to share with you a, a story of uh, uh, one of the first times that I was led by the Spirit to do something that really had an impact on my life. It set the course for my life. So let me tell you a story. Uh, in uh, February of 1980, early part of February 1980, um, my brother contacted me. I've got a brother that's three years older than me. He looks a whole lot older than that. But anyway, he's just three years older. He'll hear this tape. And anyway, or at least we hope so. And so anyway, he contacted me and he said, Mike, uh, my dad had been diagnosed with lung cancer and, and they had already been through some operations and they had taken, um, let's see, the, the, if I remember correctly, the, the lungs have three different lobes that the doctors identify. He had had two lobes taken from one lung and they'd removed one lobe from the other lung. That's as much as you can take. You can't survive it with any less than that. So uh, anyway... Medical science had done everything they could for him, and uh, and my dad had uh, had let my brother know that he wanted him to take wanted us to take him from Birmingham, Alabama, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to be in Brother Hagen's healing school. Some way or another, he had heard about Brother Hagen's ministry and and healing school and so forth, and he knew that there was a healing school service every day. He had heard some of the testimonies Brother Hagen had given about. Uh, People that have been healed through healing school and so forth. So he said, take me out there. I want to stay out there a week. I want you two boys to take me out there. We uh, got uh, uh, barred a van from somebody. Uh, he was in a position where he had to put a kind of reclining chair in the, the back of the van where he was comfortable enough to where he could travel and so forth. He's in a lot of pain. And uh, so we to- took him out there. Took him out the last week of February in 1980. Well, it just so happened they hadn't, uh, my brother nor he had checked on the schedule. Just so happened we got out there during uh, the week of uh, uh, Holy Spirit seminar. And as a result, they they were having healing school classes during the afternoon. But since Brother Hagen was teaching in the morning and the night during the seminar, he wasn't teaching the healing school classes. So it kind of created a dilemma for him. You know, what do we do? He came out more than anything else because he'd heard of Brother Hagin's healing anointing and, and so forth. So he didn't know what to do. We got the first night of the Holy Spirit seminar. We saw that it wasn't going to go toward healing. And so he decided, well, okay, I'll just go to the, uh, to the afternoon classes, uh, even though somebody else is teaching them, and, and you guys just take me back and forth to that. Well, my brother and I started trading off on um, the morning and night services of the seminar. He'd go to one, I'd stay with my dad, and then the next one I'd go, and he'd stay back, and that kind of stuff. But we always took him to the healing school classes in the afternoon. We did that all together. And um, so it gave me an opportunity to be there at some of the, the, uh, the seminar, some of the services during the seminar, by myself. And, and boy, the seminar was just great. It was, I don't remember what they were teaching on exactly. It was Holy Spirit related. I don't remember what the, when I say it was great, it wasn't great from the standpoint that I was getting taught and fed, although I'm sure I was. But it just, everything about it just had an impact on me. And, uh, when I'd go to the morning classes, uh, afterwards I'd walk over to the school and walk around the campus there in, in, uh, Oklahoma, in Tulsa, outside, well, Broken Arrow, outside of Tulsa. And, uh, and everything about it, I mean, it was, uh, it was, February, so it was it was winter time. It wasn't a, a real harsh week. The weather wasn't terribly harsh during that week, but uh, but just I mean, it looked like the sky was bluer and the grass was greener, and everything about it just looked like it was just supernatural to me. And during that week, I came across some Rama students. Just didn't really meet anybody, didn't introduce myself to anybody. I just observed people, and I stuck my head in a couple of classes and snuck in the back door on one before the. The, uh, uh, one of the morning sessions of the seminar and heard a few minutes, the last five minutes maybe of, uh, of a class that was going on. 
they kind of opened it up to the public and, and, uh, during that week. And, uh, that, that impressed me. And so walking down the hall, listening to people talk, I just realized they had something I didn't have. Now I was filled with the Holy Ghost, been saved since I was six years old, but they had something I didn't have and I didn't know what it was. And it puzzled me for the first couple of days. And so I, it, it intrigued me more. And uh, to be real honest with you, I enjoyed the morning sessions of the seminar more than I did the, the evening ones because I got a chance to look around more. And so I just got to where I'd let my brother go to the evening ones and I'd stay back and, and uh, with my dad and I'd go to all the morning ones. Gave me a chance to walk over the campus even more and look around and that kind of stuff. And every day, each, more each day, I recognize there's something about this place and the people that are there that I don't have. Again, like I said, I was saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. What more are you supposed to have? I didn't know. But I knew everybody there had something I didn't have. And so they, since they are all there, it must be there that you get what I didn't have. So I took that as, uh, well, I didn't know much about the leading of the Lord. Then I'm not going to say I, I took it as the leading of the Lord. I, I realize now that it was. But at the time, I just decided whatever it is they've got, I want to come get. So I started making plans to come to Raymond in the fall of that year. In fall of 1980, I wound up going to to school, and uh, as a result, um, began working with Brother Hagen, and it led me into a lot of things that I'm doing now. I did not go to Raymond with the intent that I was going into ministry. I didn't know that's what Raymond was about, to be honest with you. I was so green. I didn't even know that Raymond was a minister's training school. I just knew that people there had something I didn't have. And it set me on the course of my life. Well, I was planning meditating on some of these things here recently and so i was planning a couple of days ago to share this story with you and to go even a little bit further into detail about some of the things that i had and some of the things that witnessed with my heart and the lord spoke to me he said that's not the first leading you had that got you in the in the uh, in the stream of my will for your life well it kind of shocked me because i thought that it was it really surprised me because i thought that was the first time that uh, that i at least had memory of where the inward witness, looking back now, I can see it was the inward witness that was drawing me to the place where I would learn and, and you know, develop a relationship with Brother Hagin and, and, and set me on course for what God had planned for my life. I thought that was the first thing. So it really bugged me. I, I mean, it, it, it surprised me, and so I asked the Lord about it. And, uh, Lord, what are you talking about? Well, he told me something that, uh, that uh, that's never happened to me before. He said... You meditate on it and then come back and ask me tomorrow. I've never had God tell me to wait till tomorrow on anything. I've had him tell me that, you know, well, never mind. This first time that's ever happened. I've had him tell me a lot of other things. But he told me very specifically, you meditate on it and then come back tomorrow and I'll tell you. Well, man, that night I'm... I'm doing other things, but my mind is back in, well, what is he talking about? What's this? So I started going back in my memory, trying to remember things that had happened and, and, you know, what, what could he be talking about? What could I have missed along the way? And so by the time the next morning came around, the next day came around, I'm ready to, I'm ready to talk about this. So I got off by myself and I said, okay, Lord, what is this? What are you talking about? What, what have I missed? And he brought some things back to my remembrance. One of the things that he said there were two things. And the first one was uh, while I was in college, I was, uh, I guess I was a junior in college. I had spent my college days trying to get in with the right group of people, trying to be popular, trying to make girls like me, 
trying to do all the things that everybody else in, in college was trying to do. And I'd fell into a group of friends. They weren't bad guys, but they were just party guys. And so I had gotten into the routine, same routine that everybody else has. You go from weekend to weekend looking for one party or one event to the next party or next event. And I remember very specifically, the Lord brought to my remembrance, one night after an event that, you know, a big spring party that everybody was looking forward to, everybody was, you know, planning for for weeks. It was the big thing. Everybody was going to be there. Everybody that was everybody was going to be there. So you had to be there to be somebody, you know. So I went to this thing. And after it was over, I mean, it didn't turn out to be any big deal. And after it was over, I'm driving back to the apartment, driving by myself, dropped off a friend where at his, uh, where at his dorm. I'm driving back to my apartment. And, uh, and the Lord said to me, he, I'm having to give you some background on some things that the Lord knew I already knew. So I didn't, I don't need the background for me. And the Lord said, remember when you said, driving back to your apartment, do you remember when you said, this kind of living doesn't have anything for me? These friends that I'm hanging around with don't have anything that I want. And I had to, I had to think back to that. And I do, I remember that. I remember it was after a big party, big event, turned out to be a bust. I mean, nothing to it. Same party that we had last week at a different place, that kind of stuff. And I remember going back to the, uh, driving back to the, to the apartment. And I remember very specifically, the thought came to me about, boy, isn't this fun? Now, looking back at it, I can see that was the devil trying to convince me that something I wasn't really enjoying was fun. And I remember saying, I remember just, uh, 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 I don't know, maybe a minute went by, something like that. And I remember that in the car, I just said out loud something that I look back at now and I can see was impressed of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was answering, was responding with an inward witness to that thought that came to me as, boy, wasn't that fun tonight. And I just said out loud, I've got a choice. Here's what the devil's trying to tell me is fun. Didn't know anything about the devil. Didn't know he talked to your mind. Didn't know it was him. And then I've got something else on the inside that's giving me a different information. Just a witness. No words, just a witness. And I said out loud, this kind of living doesn't have anything that I want. And from that moment, something changed on the inside of me. I didn't quit hanging around with my friends. I didn't quit going to some of the parties they went to. But I'm just a bystander. I'm not looking forward to the things they're looking forward to. I'm not anxious about the things they're anxious about. I'm not trying to be popular anymore. I'm not trying to make the girls like me. I'm not trying to do anything. From that point, I kind of checked out on the inside. And the Lord said this to me. He said, the first event was when you said in the car that that kind of living didn't have anything for you. That was the witness of my spirit in your spirit trying to show you a better way. And then he said this. He said, had you not separated yourself from your friends? Well, actually, he said begun to separate because it really wasn't an, an instant thing. He said, had you not begun to separate yourself from your friends, you would have kept looking for what they were looking for. Well, that's true. That's exactly what would have happened. Well, now, don't get me wrong, folks. I wouldn't run from anything. It wasn't like God had some call on my life and I'm trying to get away from it. I had no idea that there was any such thing as the call of God on your life. I never heard in the church I was growing up in, the church I grew up in, I never heard a word about God having a plan for your life. I didn't know there was any such thing. My mom would tell me, told me all my life, Mike, you're special. Well, gee, what does that mean? 
Every mom thinks that about their kid, I guess, you know. That meant nothing. That didn't draw me to the Lord. That didn't tell me that the hand of God was on me. I don't, she wouldn't have known that anyway. We didn't have any knowledge about those kinds of things. So it wasn't like I was running away from something. You know, folks that grow up in a church that, uh, that know something about the Spirit of God and know something about the plan of God in their life is such an advantage. It's such an advantage. Now, it's not a guarantee that they'll follow it. They may run from it. They may find out early on that God does have a plan. They don't go for that plan, and so they run from it. And that becomes a miserable existence for them. But it's such an advantage to know some of these things early in life. And then the Lord, uh, well, uh, I guess I should give you some more background. He told me about the second thing. But the background, the setup for that is about a year went by. And I'm going through the same motions as I was before. I never was really a heavy drinker. I'm not drinking heavy, but it's not like, you know, there was a a major change in my life. It's just a knowing on the inside, just a knowing, something on the inside that says nothing's going to be different about this night, this event, this party, this whatever than any of the others. I'm just biding time. So about a year went by. And somebody, I don't even know where I got them. It must have been from my family, I guess, but I, I, I don't remember specifically. Somebody put uh, a tape series in my hand by Brother Hagen called Mountain Moving Faith. Six tapes. Um, the Measure of Faith. Let's see if I can remember the six tapes. The Measure of Faith. Real Faith is of the Heart. How Your Faith Can Grow. Faith by Saying for Finances when, fi- when Your Faith Works for Others. I don't know what the other one is. I'm not sure which one I left out. I got a hold of that tape series. Still at school. A year has gone by, but I'm still at school, living in an apartment. And um, and I'd get those tapes out. I'd listen to maybe one a week, maybe two a week, something like that. But over a course of six or seven months, maybe eight months, something like that, most of the school year, it was just one or two tapes a week. Somewhere along the line, I decided to quit going out with everybody on Friday and Saturday night and stay home and listen to those tapes. Well, I'd listen to those things. I'd go through three or four of them. Sometimes I'd fall asleep and wake up and one was running out or had run out or something like that, started over. I just went through those things over and over and over again. I became a burden to the guys I was living with. Not because I was trying to get them to listen to it. I didn't want them to listen to it. I didn't want them anywhere around. But I wouldn't go out with them. And I was a real drag when people, when they try to bring girls back to the apartment and I'm listening to tapes, you know, preaching. So they, they, I mean, they really had a problem with some of this. But I started listening to those things. I, I, I didn't really have time during the week to listen to them, but on the weekends. Man, I'd go through that tape series. I'd listen to those tape series two or three or four times a, a weekend. Always by myself, always while everybody else was doing other things. And I caught a lot of flack for it. Everybody said, Mike, you used to be fun. Now you're not fun anymore. You know, but I'm just as happy as I can be. I'm a lot happier listening to those tapes. Same stuff. It's not new stuff. I didn't have but one tape series. I'm a whole lot happier listening to those tapes than I was doing the other things before I got them. The Lord said, had you, this is what he told me. He said, the second thing where I was impressing upon you by my spirit, he said, was to listen to those tapes. He said, had you not opened your heart to the word, you wouldn't have been receptive. You would not have been open to the leading of the Lord when you finally got to healing school. Well, I never thought about those things. But looking back at it, I mean, now hearing the direction of the Lord, you know, after the Lord tells you something, it becomes so obvious. Stuff you didn't see yourself. Now it's so obvious. I wish it happened quicker, but it didn't. 
It took two, uh, about two and a half years, not quite, but maybe close to two and a half years, from the first event to where I got in the place where I got in the, the, the path of what God had for me. Now, I want you to turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. I want you to see something. Romans chapter 12, you know verses 1 and 2, has a lot to do with spiritual development. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, your reasonable service. Many other translations say spiritual worship instead of reasonable service. When Jesus said, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, he's not talking about singing in tongues. Most charismatics, that's all they think worshiping in spirit is, is when you sing in other tongues. Thank God for the privilege that we have to sing in other tongues. I don't mean to to belittle that or demean that in any way whatsoever, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about living such a life to where your spirit dominates your flesh and your soul. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, this word prove, I've said it a thousand times, I'll keep saying it. The word prove means to determine by experience. You could just substitute the word experience. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may experience. Live out, in other words, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I grew up in, uh, in the country, not deep, deep country, but outside of Birmingham. Uh, there's woods everywhere, and we'd all go play in the woods and, and that kind of stuff. There were streams all over the place. Uh, there was one place that we went to. Actually, it was the farm that my daddy leased for a while. Uh, he had the idea that we'd grow hay on it, and sometime, somehow or another he thought it would be profitable for m- my brother and I to, to bale the hay. Well, we showed him. But this, this farm was uh, 600 acres, something like that, um, 20 miles maybe outside of uh, from where we live. So we'd go up there a lot. And um, especially after my brother got old enough to drive, we'd go up there a lot. And it had this uh, the creek on there, and that's where we went snake hunting a lot of times and stuff like that. But I'd go off in the woods by myself sometimes when we'd get up there. And uh, and there was a place that I'd like to go, and it was a place where the stream flowed pretty pretty strong. Not It wasn't very wide, but it, the, the water ran pretty pretty strong there. And I'd get out there, and I'd just throw stuff in the in the creek. I'd just get out there by myself, just enjoyed being there, and just throwing stuff in the creek. I noticed something. I noticed if I got something out in the middle, the, the, the stick or whatever it was I was throwing into the creek, then the current would take it and take it a long way downstream. But one of the difficulties was if I threw something in the creek and I didn't get it out far enough, it only got in the edge of the current, and instead of taking it down the middle, it would push it off to the side. I think, and I've never thought about this until the Lord brought these things to my attention here over the last week or so, I think that's what this verse is talking about. I think that's where a lot of Christians live. They live in just the edge, not where the current can take them into the full plan of God for their lives, just over in the edge where they kind of go in and out, get a, get a sampling of it every now and then, to get something that will move them in life just a little bit, and then get hung up in the brush. That's what verse 2 is talking about. Be renewed in your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Ephesians says. To what end? That you may determine by experience, that you may experience in your life what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you in the center of the stream. God wants you in the center of the stream. Let me give you an example to, to show you what I'm talking about and to confirm the things that, uh, that I've already told you about. Brother Hagin told a story about uh, when he was pastoring a church, there was a, um, 
a situation where there was a, a family member of a, a family in his church, if I remember the story correctly, that was um, uh, somehow or another something had happened and their mind had snapped and, and they were about to commit her to the asylum. Actually, they had committed her to the asylum and they'd gotten a furlough where she was able to come home, but they were going back the next day and have to, to, to bring her back to the, to the insane asylum, whatever they called them, sanatoriums, whatever they called them back then. And uh, so before they went back, Brother Hagen was uh, asked by uh, the family, would you pray for our relative, whoever it was, brother, sister, whoever, uh, sister, aunt, whatever the case was, would you come by the house and pray because we've got to send her back to the, to the place tomorrow? Well, Brother Hagen said that he would. And so he got in the car with, uh, with his wife. And it uh, seems like there was another member of the church that was with him in the car. Somebody was in the back seat. And uh, so they drove over to where this family lived and where they were, uh, uh, had the, the relative that um, uh, had lost her mind. And Brother Hagen said that while he was going, he heard a voice from the back seat of the car. It sounded to him like it was somebody that was sitting back there. And he said, when you get there, don't touch her. Don't lay hands on her. Go stand in front of her and say these words. Come out of her, thou unclean spirit, in the name of Jesus. Well, Brother Hagen heard that and he turned around and looked at the guy in the back seat. And, and the guy in the back seat looked back at him and he could tell he didn't say anything. So he asked everybody in the car, he said, did y'all hear that? And they looked at each other and looked back at him and said, well, I don't know what you mean. We didn't hear anything. But to Brother Hagen, it sounded like it was an audible voice. Well, he got there and went and, and uh, in the bedroom where they had her and and uh, she was uh, agitated, fidgety, and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't like she was sitting still, but, um, but real agitated. And so Brother Hagen just went and stood in front of her and said, Come out, thou unclean spirit, in the name of Jesus. Well, instantly, her mind just went right. And, uh, and there was a, a noticeable change. Everybody could tell the difference. I mean, all of a sudden, she's back in her right mind. She's talking to everybody. She's, she's laughing. She goes down into, into the, the kitchen with everybody, has a bite to eat. She's just back to her old self like she had been seven or eight years before the event happened that caused her to lose her mind. So they took her back to the sanatorium the next day. The sanatorium people, you know, looked at her and said, well, this is not the same person we let go over the weekend. So they started running some tests, turned her loose and by the end of the day and said, we can't find anything wrong with you. We can't explain it. Come back next week and we'll do some more tests. They wound up doing every test they could and gave her a clean bill of health. Well, the part of the story that, uh, that I want you to get uh, that happened in the meantime is that after Brother Hagen and his wife and the other church member left the house, they got back in the car, driving back to, to Brother Hagen's home, the parsonage, whatever it was. And Brother Hagen heard another voice that sounded like it came from the back seat again. And this voice, this time, the voice said this. Here was the Holy Spirit. What he said the second time was, if you hadn't obeyed me on that $10, I couldn't have used you here. Well, Brother Hagen knew exactly what he talked about. What he was talking about was something that happened about six or seven months earlier. It was just before Christmas time. Brother Hagen had saved up $10 that he was going to use for him, himself, and uh, I think they only had one child at that point in time. But anyway, the, the family, a $10 Christmas. This was back in the early 1940s, I guess. They were going to have a $10 Christmas. And this, uh, this fellow came uh, through town, got off the bus just right in front of the church, came into the church office where Brother Hagin's study was, and introduced himself and said that he was just passing through town 
and um, uh, just wanted to introduce himself and say hello and that kind of stuff. Brother Hagin, it was a midweek service, uh, the day of the midweek service. So Brother Hagin said, well, you're here in town. Why don't you stay over and preach for us tonight? Well, he did. And while he was preaching that night during the service, the Lord spoke to Brother Hagin and said, I want you to ask him to preach on Sunday, take him an offering and, and uh, give him uh, as much money as comes in. He said he ran out of money. This is as far as the bus would bring him because he's out of money. He said, I want you to invite him to stay over on Sunday, take an offering for him, and give him that $10 that you were saving for Christmas. Or Brother Hagin said all throughout the service, he's arguing with the Lord. You know, Lord, I'd be glad to keep him over to Sunday and take an offering for him, but my $10, that's the only $10 I've got. If I give him that $10, I'm not going to have a Christmas. And it was late in November, maybe early December. So it wasn't like he had time to, to, to gather up any other money or save any other money. Christmas is just a week or two away. Christmas shopping is real close to whatever he was planning to do with $10. And so he's arguing the whole time through the service with the Lord. And finally, he gave in by the end of the service, got up at the end of the, the when it was over and announced to the congregation, Brother so-and-so, we'd like you to stay over till Sunday. Can you do that? Well, good. We're glad to have you. He doesn't have any money. Where's he going to go? So he stayed over Sunday. Brother Hagen gave him the offering and then added that $10. He said, letting go of that $10 was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. He said, I've got it in my hand trying to hand it to him, and it's like my fingers won't come unclenched over that $10 because that's not Christmas. Well, he gave him that $10. Now, you might think that the the result of that story is God blessed him and caused him to have more than $10 for Christmas, but the end of the story is they didn't have a Christmas. He sacrificed the money that they had for Christmas, without any return on it by the time Christmas came around. Now, folks, I like prosperity scriptures as much as everybody else. And, and the Bible's true in Luke 6, 38, where it says, given, it'll be given unto you. But that doesn't always mean it'll be given unto you by the time you want it. Has anybody found that out? So they went Christmas without anything. He didn't have any money to buy for the kids, didn't have any money to buy for his wife. They didn't have anything except what they had otherwise. Just a normal day for them. Well, that's the $10 Brother Hagin said the Lord was talking to him about. That's what the Lord was talking about when he spoke to him again when they left the house, saying, if you hadn't obeyed me in that $10, I couldn't have used you here. Now, folks, here's the long, here's the, the, the summary of the service. Here's the point I'm trying to get across. Everybody wants to be used by God in the great miracle. Everybody wants to hear from God when it causes the skies to open and the blessing of God to be poured out. Everybody wants to be used of God then. But most often, it's a series and a progression of steps that cause great things to happen. Very rarely does it work where somebody ignores the inward witness on the smaller things, the things that that they may not have even recognized at the time was the leading of the Lord. I can look back and tell you that neither one of those two things that the Lord told me about, I was conscious of. I was not conscious of the fact that that was the Spirit of God. Now, I kind of have an out because I didn't know the Holy Ghost would lead you. I didn't know there was such a thing as the inward witness. I didn't know anything about God leading you. I may have heard a little bit about it during that tape series, but by then... Those two things that the Lord had already had spoken to me about had already occurred. And so usually the way that it works is you take one step and then another step and then another step on things that don't seem like they're significant. But each one of those steps are the things that get you out into the middle of the stream. Where then you can be carried on by the things of God. Do you understand what I'm saying?
It's very rare that God will use somebody in the big splash when they have ignored Him in the inward witness on little things along the way. God wants us to be so sensitive to the Spirit of God that the things that just seem right to us are the things that we follow. Because the things that seem right, looking back at those two things, it just seemed right to me to judge between what my friends were doing, what I was involved in, and some other way. It just seemed right to recognize that this kind of living doesn't have anything that I'm looking for. That just seemed like the right thing. I, I didn't know it was God. I didn't know it was the impression of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything other than this just just what seems right. I thought I'm just figuring this out. Took me a while to figure it out. Took me several years to figure it out. I wish I hadn't wasted those years. So I thought it was just me reasoning things out. When it came to the tape series, I did it out of curiosity more than anything else. But looking back at it, I can see how it was the Holy Spirit drawing me back in, getting me, impressing upon me. Listen to that again. Listen to that again. Listen to that again. And the more I listened, the more I wanted to listen. I didn't know it was God. I didn't know it was the Holy Ghost. I sure didn't know it had any bearing on my life. I just thought it was a choice I was making. It just seemed right to me. Folks, if the Spirit of God lives in your spirit, how do you distinguish between your spirit and Him? That's the real question everybody has. How do I know if this is just me or if it's the Holy Spirit? Well, if the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit, wouldn't it seem like it's you? When He's doing something, He's commingled together with you. Where's the division? Where's the distinction between your spirit and the Holy Spirit? As long as what you're doing is in line with the Word, you're one and the same. And the more you feed on the Word of God, the more it opens your heart to recognize what the leading of God will be. I can look back in my life, folks, and tell you some of the most spectacular things, guidances, directions that I've got from the Holy Spirit. I had no idea it was Him at the time. The things that set me on course for God's plan for my life to be fulfilled, I didn't know it was God at the time. It just seemed right. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Because that's what it seems like when it's the Holy Ghost in you, leading you and guiding you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit. It doesn't say he speaks to your spirit. Sometimes that happens, but that's a whole lot uh, less frequent than the inward witness. The Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you are children of God. The Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit of everything that that belongs to you because of Jesus' sacrifice. He'll bear witness with your spirit of everything about who you are in Christ and what blessings of God are yours and what the Bible really means for you. He'll show you God's plan for your life. I don't care if you're young or I don't care if you're old. God's still got a plan for you. And the Holy Ghost will lead you into it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits. Even when we don't know that it's you, we thank you, Father, that that which seems right to us because we feed our spirit on the Word of God always causes us to see your plan and your purpose. causes us to be in the flow of your will for our lives. In the middle of the stream, Lord, where we can be swept along by the plan of God. Thank you, Father, for the times that you've led us so far. Thank you that there are even greater things ahead. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.